Well, this morning we are five weeks into a series of sermons on prayer. And the reason we're doing this, to say yet again, is because we cannot mature as Christians or as a church without maturing in prayer. Prayer is a primary way that God transforms us into the people he made us to be. Prayer is one of the fundamental tools that God uses to work his will in our bodies and in our souls. And prayer is a primary way that we collaborate with God in his work in this world. Prayer has to become a serious commitment of our lives. Not some little thing tacked onto the periphery. Not the kind of prayer I'm talking about is the kind of prayer that Jesus' disciples were talking about when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so over the last few weeks, we've turned our attention to the prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms. And we've looked at prayers of praise and prayers of confession and prayers of thanksgiving. And this morning, we're turning our attention to prayers of lament. In our journey of praying, in our learning to pray, if we're going to learn to pray like Jesus, we have to learn to pray when we're overwhelmed with sadness and despair, depression. When divorce fractures a family and it knocks the wind out of you, when a child abandons the faith and you're grieving the future you had dreamed of, when a friendship sours over a word that is wounded and refuses to be healed, when loneliness goes on so long and depression cripples us and suicidal thoughts plague us, when our hearts are broken by the unexpected death of a loved one, or when chronic pain robs life of its simplest pleasures, we have to learn how to pray in these times. And as we grow in our prayer life, part of what it means is learning to pray in the dark. We need to know that God wants us to bring our sadness, and he wants us to become the kind of people that can Put our sadness into words, our confusion and our doubts and our raging protest. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to our psalm, Psalm 88. If you don't have a Bible, then you can cheat and there'll only be a little bit of judgment. It's in the worship guide. I think it's on page three. Psalm 88. Now, You need to know that Psalm 88 is the darkest prayer in the Bible. It's the gloomiest of the laments. It's the prayer of someone who apparently is experiencing a severe illness. It might be physical. It could be a mental illness. We can't quite tell. But his friends and his family have deserted him. His mind and his body are broken And he is severely depressed. Notice verse 15. uh, Ricardo, can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm afraid to talk as loud as I want to talk. Okay. (laughs) Notice verse 15. Thanks, man. 
afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer terrors. Uh, Friends of mine who have had depression since their adolescence have talked to me about how this psalm makes a lot of sense of their life. From my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless, right? In a pre kind of scientific world, this is the prayer of somebody who's suffering from a chronic lifelong illness of some sort. He's been begging God for help and God has been silent. And so he's overwhelmed when you read this prayer. He's overwhelmed physically and spiritually and emotionally. He has nothing left. Sickness, depression, darkness, This is Psalm 88. Now, some of us in this room have never, ever experienced anything that relates to this. And some of us in this room, you know, know exactly what this is about. Here is a prayer that provides language for unspeakable moments. Words for overwhelming sorrow. That sorrow that you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't find any gleam of hope for, this is, a, this is a prayer for inconsolable pain. And I just want to encourage you, learn this prayer. Learn it before it's too late. Because when you're in this dark place, it's not a time you can learn a prayer. Now, two main points this morning for my sermon. First of all, when we suffer deeply, We need witnesses. Psalm 88 places us in a chain of prayer that stretches across the ages, a chain that reaches back to David and goes through Jeremiah and Job and Jesus and Paul and the church fathers and the monks and the reformers and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Mother Teresa and Bishop Lewum, and it stretches all the way back in our family history and all the way up to us. All through our family history, people have learned this prayer. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, when the author of that book is dealing with deep suffering and he's trying to talk about perseverance, what he does is he walks through example after example of faithful endurance and he says to help people who are suffering, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Psalm 88 is part of that cloud. It's possible to suffer and be reshaped for good because of the suffering. I'm not saying we should ever choose um, suffering, that dist- but, but there are ways that we can suffer and be shaped for good. And one of those key ways is learning to pray the prayers that people who have been shaped well in suffering that they wrote and that they prayed. That's my first point. Suffering always changes us, but it does not always change us necessarily for the better. Change for the better in suffering does not come automatically. We can suffer, though, in a way that our souls are expanded rather than contracted. And for that to happen, we need witnesses in our suffering. And Psalm 88 
leads us into the company of the witnesses of those who've suffered physically, mentally, emotionally, physically. The Psalms of Lament, and this is just one of them, they show us that we are not the first. We're not the first to doubt God. We're not the first to be angry or to be depressed. Others have been here. And others have crafted words in faith that bear repeating. We stand in a tradition as people of God, and that tradition gives us good prayers in the dark places. Now, that's my first point. We need witnesses. Here we can join with others. My second point, when we are suffering, we not only need witnesses, we need words. There comes a moment in darkness where something needs to be said. And when we need to speak, when we need to pray, we are often not ready. So Psalm 88 gives us words to pray. It furnishes us with a language for the unspeakable. It gives coherent shape to incoherent feelings that we can bring to the, into the presence of our maker when it seems like he's abandoned us. Psalm 88 gives us the words to speak of the worst in life to God. Now, what I'm going to do is walk through the psalm and just introduce you to it. One of the ways that I've found it's helpful to get a sense of Psalm 88 is to see it in three sections. Verses 1 through 9 are the first complaint. Verses 10 through 12 are an argument for help. Verses 13 through 18 is another complaint. So first complaint, argument for help, second complaint. Look at verse one, first complaint. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Now, this is the first of three times that he cries out to God. The second is in verse 9. Notice verse 9. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Third time, verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Now, this was originally written in Hebrew, and in that language, this word cry or cries out, um, it's actually three different words in Hebrew for cry. It's as if this person praying is saying, I've used every word. I've exhausted every approach. Notice something else. Notice in all three of the cries, verse 1, verse 9, verse 13, each time he cries out for help, he references time. Verse 1. I cry out day and night before you. Verse 9, every day I call upon you, cry to you. Verse 13, I cry to you in the morning, my prayer comes before you. In other words, not only has he used every possible approach to God over the course of his life, he's done it at every possible moment. He looks back at his life. He sees that he's cried out to God in the morning, in the evening, at night, every day. 
And what is the result of this crying out to God? Darkness. In fact, some form of the word darkness occurs in every section of the psalm. Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 12, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Or my favorite translation of the last phrase, darkness is my only companion. Darkness pervades the prayer. And yet go back to verse one. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. All through Psalm 88, there is this pervasive darkness, and yet this is not a faithless cry against the Almighty. This is not the attack of an atheist. This is somebody wrestling out their faith in the presence of God, in the midst of his agonies. He comes before God and he clings to his faith in God as the only source that salvation can come from. His faith is deeply troubled, but it's not non-existent. And to be honest, verse one is the only positive note in the whole prayer. And you know this if you've ever suffered. There are prayers where addressing God at the beginning is the only positive thing in the prayer. And that's where this guy is, where he is in his praying. Look at verse three. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol, the place of the dead. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. This guy is on the brink of death. Notice what he says in verse six. You, talking to God, have put me in the depths of the pit. You made me this way. You did this to me. God is the cause of his suffering. God, the one he's crying out to for salvation, is the agent of his destruction. This comes up throughout the prayer. Look at verse 7. Your wrath has come down on me. The end of verse 7, you've squashed me. Verse 8, you've caused close friends to stay away. The end of verse 8, you've made me repulsive. Verse 14, you've cast me away. You've hidden from me. Verse 15, you are destroying me with your terrors. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have annihilated me. Verse 18, you have caused my closest friends to shun me. Sometimes the words we need to pray are not positive words. We live in a culture of toxic positivity. And here's a lesson for us in this culture, a lesson that faithful, hopeful prayer doesn't always sound positive. This is a complaint. 
This is an accusation. This is a direct accusation of God. And God put this prayer in our Bible for us. Keith and I were talking on, on Friday night, and we were talking about if this kind of prayer wasn't in the Bible, what in the world would we do as pastors when we're sitting next to victims? I'm so glad that I will never sit with somebody for whom there is not a prayer in the Bible. Last year, a friend of mine wrote an article for Christianity Today. The title of it is, Why Don't We Sing Justice Songs in Worship? What he did was he compared the psalms to the top 25 worship songs sung in churches in the West today. Here's what he found. In the top 25 worship songs sung by churches in the West today, the word justice shows up one time. In the song and prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms, the word justice shows up 65 times. In 33 Psalms, that's more than once every five Psalms. In the top 25 worship songs sung in the churches in the church today, there are zero references to the poor or poverty. But in the prayer and worship book of the Bible, language for the poor is on every page. Three, the widow, the refugee, and the oppressed are never mentioned in the top 25 worship songs sung in churches today. In the prayers and the songs of the Bible, the victims are of injustice are mentioned everywhere. Number four, references to enemies hardly ever occur in the top 25 worship songs. And when they do occur, it's always spiritualized. But in the prayers of the Psalms, God's people constantly bring their real enemies, not their spiritual enemies, their workmates, their neighbors, the other countries that are attacking them, they bring their real enemies to the attention of God. And they demand an explanation for why the wicked are winning. And number five, most devastating of all, in the top 25 worship songs sung throughout the church today, and by the way, when you compare it to the hymn books of the mainline denominations, the statistics come out the same. In the top 25 worship songs sung today, not a single question is ever put to God. But in the Bible, you can't prick the Psalter without an accusation or a question being put to God, a demand, pleading with God to remember, to pay attention, to act. The reason I'm bringing this up is that we have been trained how to pray in a deficient way today. We have got to let the Psalms become our primary tutor in prayer. And if we will let that happen, we will be so much better off in the darkness. 
protesting and raging at God about injustice and suffering and pain and sadness. This is central to the hymnal of God's people. The book of the Psalms recognizes that suppressing feelings of anger in worship, leaving our cares at the door when we come to worship, suppressing our rage in situations of extreme injustice and suffering, this does more harm than good. Humans need spaces to process the full range of their emotions and bring them before God, especially when we or our loved ones are suffering. Look, we need the Psalms of Lament. And there are a lot of them, so many of them. Psalm 88 is just one of them. We need these prayers because we need to learn how to relate to God when we're mad at him or disappointed or needing him or confused why he's not acting, confused why it's not playing out the way it ought to play out. Confused why we do everything that we thought he told us to do, and it still kicks us in the teeth. We need to learn how to bring this to God. We need to learn how to process with God our suffering, our pain. At the end of the day, to ignore these prayers, these prayers of lament, is to forget that God can handle our brokenness. It's to believe that God has somehow forgotten, like it says in Psalm 103, we are made from the dust. But God has not forgotten. God has not run out of compassion. In Christ, he suffers with us. In Christ, he shares our brokenness. He knows what it's like to pray with loud cries. We see this in Hebrews chapter 5. In Mark chapter 13, we see that Jesus knows how to grieve and feel distress. In Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus knows what it's like to weep. And in our, script, our gospel reading this morning, Mark chapter 15 and 14, we know that Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned by God. You see, when we learn to pray, to really pray the Psalms of lament, we are learning to pray like Jesus. We are learning to bring our sadness before the face of the Father. I've had some real sadnesses in my life lately, and I've been shocked at how many days I go without bringing it to God. I need the Psalms to get so deep in me that they teach me how to do this, to bring my complaint to God rather than my friends. So this week, I encourage you, Set aside special, a special time every day and a special place every day to learn the Psalms of Lament. Because even if you don't need them now, you live in this tired and broken world. One day you will. Here are seven in particular I commend to you. Uh, there are two sets of Lament Psalms. One is about personal lament and one is corporate like angry over injustices done to communities, over communities. I'm going to give you the personal lament psalms. Seven in particular, Psalm 5, 6, 17, 22, 41, 88, and 109. One more time. Psalm 5, 6, 17, 22, 41, 88, and 109. So look, I want to encourage you this week like every other week. Pick a special time 
in a special place. Get a candle or an icon or something. Take a deep breath. Get very still. Remember and believe that you are in the presence of Jesus. And then read one of these psalms. And stop along the way and turn it into your prayer. Use these words. And in doing this, may our church be a community who knows how to lament because we practice lamenting. May we be a community of those who seek to walk with Jesus, trusting that psalms of lament are his gift to us. They're one of his chosen vehicles for us to become whole and holy. Let's pray.